Welcome to the show, guys. This is the small council where we discuss anything and everything, a song of ice and fire, the miniatures game by Cool Mini or Not. Just to give you a rundown of uh, what we're doing here, tonight we have with us Brett, the master of laws. We have Chris, the master of ships. Jose, the master of coin. Justin, the grand maester. And myself, the hand of the king. Uh, we're going to, uh, whatchamacallit, we're going to go over 1.5 changes and, uh, uh, specifically what it has to do with, uh, the mechanics of the game. Uh, but to give you a rundown of what the show will offer, our main feature is that the show is live. It provides a better connection between us and the listeners. This also means that once we start having guests on, uh, whether it be CMON staff, other content creators, or tournament champions, you'll, uh, we're going to try to let the callers call in and ask questions maybe at the end. Uh, that way you can speak, um, so to speak, you can have a, a one-on-one conversation rather than, you know, a comment through a post online. Um, but without further ado, let's get into tonight's show. Um, but make sure to give us a follow, share it out, and spread the word. Uh, we're still, you know, kind of new, so uh, that's the best thing you can do for us right now uh, to kind of get the word out. Um, we'll be doing a raffle at the end of the show. Uh, the winner um, will be a caller, uh, and they'll get a Free Folk uh, Trappers uh, unit. Um, so let's get into the rule changes. Um so, I don't know, what do you guys think about all the changes going on so far? Uh, I, think, uh, I, think they were, I think they're pretty good. I mean, I don't, think, uh, I don't think anything is, like, super out of left field, I guess to say. Um, I think they clarify a lot of things that have kind of been in question here and there. Awesome. I think, I think, oh, and before I forget, uh, I know, um, Jose, you weren't on last time. Uh, if you want to um, give, like, a, a kind of a rundown of, you know, your gaming history and just kind of so people can kind of get a, get to know you a bit better. Uh, yeah, sure, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, it's just, my name's Jose, and uh, I've been doing miniature war games since 2009. Uh, I started out kind of like our, most people, I think, uh, on our show here uh, with Warhammer. Uh, I did. I played fantasy. I played uh, 40k. I played Malifaux. I've done War Machines, um, and then now I do. Uh, I've done, I do a Song of Ice and Fire, and it's uh, my favorite game I've played as far as miniatures goes. Um, I think it's the most streamlined, and uh, I think I'm really into the the IP. I mean, I love Game of Thrones. Um, I never read the books, but I love the show and. Uh, I think it's it's a really fun game, and the community is great. Uh, so awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, all right. So yeah, the first change we're gonna go over is um, we're gonna talk about uh, the action phase, and this one is more of a um, more of like a clarification more than anything 
Uh, it really isn't changing anything that was already in place. Um, but it was kind of confusing before with some of the wording. Um, so basically what it changed was uh, before the way a lot of things were worded was when things were activated. So when you activated a unit, you chose an action. But uh, I believe it's the sends have an ability that make you have to charge them if you fail. Um, but if you've already activated and chose your action due to, you know, SIMO uh, uh, things happening, the active player would pick first. But I, I think most of us knew that that wasn't how it was supposed to be played, but by the wording, it, it was hard to, like, argue against it. But now they've uh, changed it to where you first activate your unit, uh, you pick which one to activate, and then you pick what action they're going to perform. So what do you guys think? Uh, what do you think, Justin? Uh, for me, uh, it doesn't really change anything because I kind of always play that way anyways. Uh, just like, I, I suppose, that's how I kind of always looked at the game. That's why I didn't see any confusion with like that argument for winners coming and counterplot. There's always activations, and then you perform whatever the action is. Uh, so it's it's a good clarification, especially if it was causing confusion, uh, but didn't change the game for me. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty straightforward, but it's nice that they took the time to make the clarification. Oh, absolutely. If it was needed, then it's nice to see them talk about it. Yeah. I'd rather have, uh, you know, I don't want like a, you know, a textbook of, of rules, but, you know, I definitely don't mind an extra page or two uh, if it's just clarifying things within it. Definitely. What do you guys think, uh, Brett, Jose? I'm in, I'm in the same boat as Justin. I, I played it the way that it, the, the rule book is clarified for it to be played now. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a courtesy thing, but I generally try to resolve things as much as intended as possible. And I don't, I don't want to point fingers and say some people reach for cheese or anything because it is what it is. But generally, I, I lean towards giving the benefit of doubt to my opponent anyway. So I try to always have a positive play experience. So if it was something that was questionable and it was, a, it was causing an argument, it's definitely a positive that they've changed it up and really eliminated any question. And uh, it's really positive to see them going through and uh, listening to the community's feedback. Obviously, they've gathered that this was an argument somewhere and so they've, they've cleaned it up so it's again it's no change for me uh same as justin but uh i'm really glad to see it um anytime they're going to go in and, and try to clean those things up to make the game run cleaner and smoother with as few arguments as possible is going to be is always going to be a positive yeah and uh i'm not going to say i was the first one to bring it up but i definitely brought it up in the main uh ice and fire page about this uh i guess situation and you know I made it clear that I knew it wasn't supposed to be that way but that you know with the way the game is played it could easily be confused that way um, and so you know a clarification uh, would definitely help it what about you Jose are you kind of in the same boat uh, yeah, pretty much, pretty much the same thing. Uh, like everybody said too, you know, uh, if it, yeah, I mean, if it, needs, if it, it obviously needs to be clarified somewhere along the lines, otherwise I wouldn't have said it. 
Um, but for the most part, played it pretty much kind of like how all you guys play it. And um, that's actually one of the things I liked about the game, that I just feel like everything, like I, like I said in the beginning, it's, everything is really, like, streamlined and simplified. Um, it's one of my favorite yeah. things about the game, actually. So. All right. I'm assuming, uh, Chris, you're in the same boat. Yes, sir. All right. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. So we're going to save the bigger topics for last. So I'm going to try to shoot through a lot of these uh, these minor ones and just kind of briefly talk about them and then get a couple of you to weigh in on them. Uh, I don't think uh, all of us need to, you know, I think we're all kind of in the same boat for most of these. But uh, all right, the next one up is we're going to be talking about individual models. So there's just some clarification about individual models. Um, I would just, just kind of reading over that one. Um, that really didn't change anything uh, that wasn't already kind of being played. But the, um, the in, in addition to the individual models, uh, just some of that is talking about ranks. Um, so solo units only ever count as a single rank. Uh, I absolutely love this, and I think this is how they should have been from the get-go. Um, I think it just makes sense that, you know, they only can ever have one rank. It'll definitely hurt them in like a jet objective mass matches, you know, because you can still control something. And yes, you can contest too if you're, or do you have to? You have to have more, right, to contest? Not yeah, you have to have more. So yeah, you can never so, contest as a solo, which I'm fine with. I don't know about you guys. But if Wait. if you look at the tournament documents, or I mean, in the in each um, game mode, it still says. Solo units count as having remaining wounds equal to their remaining wounds for controlling and contesting. So that's in Clash of Kings. Oh, so they never and they never changed that part. No, they they didn't change how many ranks they can contest with. I think they just cleaned that up because there was a lot of question with like uh, John Umber's. I think it's Lash Out. You take that many wounds unless you have one rank remaining. And so there was the argument, well, do they have zero ranks remaining because zero isn't one? It never says that they have zero, so they're going to take these wounds as well. And so I think it's generally cleaning up for, for things like that. But they will still contest based on their number of wounds. So Giants will still count as five, and uh, Dogs will count as two, and then the War Machines will count as six in the odd situation that a War Machine contests an objective. So okay. the confusion at the tournament we just played was someone had said that Solos were e ranks equal to their wounds, not contesting equal to their wounds. Uh, no, that's not correct. They're just no, uh, yeah, absolutely. They only it was a contested based it on their wounds, and and that was really it. And that was a little little thing that they added. But it's good that they've cleared it up now. They they count as one rank for all other purposes, and then in each specific game mode, it will indicate whether they contest objectives based on their number of wounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about solos having equal to their wounds. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, yes, it, it's easy to make their wounds go down, but in the case of, like, wolves, they're almost always either dead or they're not. Like, I've almost never had uh, a wolf just at a single wound. Um, I either just pass all their saves or they just fill all of them. Um, that and, I don't know, giants having five... 
know, I guess it's it's not like such a huge deal. I'm willing to just kind of like look past it and just say whatever, but I would much rather them just count as a single rank. I think in the case of Giants, it's kind of thematic, you know? Like if an objective represents them holding an area, a giant swinging a giant stick at them is not going to make it easy to hold it. Yeah, 10 out of 10, you know, I, don't, I don't want to try to take anything from a giant. So. Nah, not even a little bit. Or a gigantic wolf, for that matter. Except their friendship. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd be a little more up, uh, like for it if maybe it was uh, their ranks only counted for contesting one. Because for me, it always it never really made sense that like a single like thing is holding an objective in a in like an army, uh, like in a battlefield. So like if the five wounds counting as five ranks mattered for just the purposes of contesting, you know. But watching that is like the a case, giant, like, well, yes, but it's also in the case of controlling one too. So what I'm getting at is that. The, uh, a giant is sitting on an objective, controlling an objective with five uh, ranks on it. Um, and so for pretty much anyone to take that objective away, they'd have to be at full ranks and take out three of the wounds to be more ranks than the, the giant. And for me, I don't know, I just don't picture a giant like controlling an objective. They're, uh, they definitely would scare others away from controlling their own, but the giant sitting there like holding something while then trying to kill everything that's trying to contest the objective from it. Um, but I guess maybe that would make the rules a little too uh, convoluted. Probably. But yeah. what about you, Jose? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get, I guess I understand, you know, both sides of everything here, but I think, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just, I think that it maybe would have mattered more when people were taking a lot of like just straight up lists full of giants, like words like all giants. I know like when Free Souls first came out, that was like a common thing. But I think now there's so many ways that like giants can become more of a target that I don't think that it'll be that big of an issue. Yeah. I think even Slademen at this point um, with ditching out a panic token when they charge, um, particularly if they're in the flank or the rear, I think they can, even they can threaten a giant at this point, you know, the, the change to panic, uh, which and I know we're going to get into that later, but I'm just agreeing with him. There's definitely ways to bring a giant down besides causing 10 unsaved wounds. So I'm, I'm largely okay with it. At some point they have to balance what's, Realistic and and what's good for gameplay, and I I think they've I think they've done it. I'm 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 okay with it. Yeah, like I got, like I said, maybe when Free Folk first came out and you were seeing a lot of lists, they were just like, you know five giants. Maybe that'd be an issue, but I don't I don't I think that's kind of like done with now, just because there's like it's like like Brett just said, even with, even with Panic, I mean, if it's changed now, it's going to be. I don't think we'll be seeing it as that much of an issue. Yeah, I suppose with the new change to Panic. Um... It definitely sounds, you know, not so bad. Uh, but I haven't uh, played it against many giants um, just because of class and whatnot. haven't gotten to play as much as I would like. But, uh, yeah, um, we can uh, move on to the next one. This one's pretty simple. Also another clarification that uh, you would see Michael uh, 
talking about uh, constantly, and finally they added it to the to the rules. So now, hopefully, he doesn't have to keep saying it. But <laughs> oh, and by the way, I just want to add in there um, for these those of you that have not listened to uh, Michael Chanel's podcast. Uh, a, just in general, I would recommend going and listening to all of those uh, um, podcasts uh, that he has made. Um, in particular, there is one on pretty much everything we're going over tonight. Uh, and he might uh, and probably will do a better job job of uh, explaining a lot of these um, if you're still kind of unsure about them. But, uh, yeah, go uh, give his uh, podcast a listen to after the show. Um, but yeah, the next um, change is uh, being able to take away uh, abilities, um, so ranged and melee attacks, like the the ability to perform those attacks cannot be taken away when you take away an ability, but if those uh, attacks confer an ability, those can be taken away. And then innate abilities... Um, cannot be taken away at all, anything within the heart. Um, and that's just kind of a clarification that I've seen over and over and over where people ask, well, I lose all my abilities, does that mean I can no longer attack? But uh, the attack itself is not an ability. What do you think, uh, Justin? Uh, I think it's yeah, I mean, so many people accept their cards and abilities that specifically say shut off all attachments and stuff. But I play Bruce Bolton a lot, so every time I use uh, his cards, people are like, I lose all my abilities? What can I do? Do I lose crit? Do I lose this? So a more defined clarification was absolutely needed because every time I play someone who I haven't played before, I've had to explain to it. And I always feel like that guy who's, like, cheating when I have to explain it, like, ah, you you lose so much stuff, you can attack, but it's just a regular attack. And then, like, no way, especially if it's a giant or something. Yeah, it's it's another one of those just clarifications. It's it's nice to, like I said, I I would gladly take another page or two into the rule book if it just meant filling in things with uh, with further clarifications on things. I agree. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna roll in this next one into that because it kind of uh, is along the same lines, and that's uh, they have now changed that if you have an uh, like an effect that will shut off uh, a unit's abilities, it will also shut off the attachment's abilities. Um, but the same is not true uh, in the reverse. So if you have an ability that shuts off an attachment, it won't shut off the unit. Um, so this will give some buffs to uh, certain abilities, while others won't uh, receive receive the same buff. But personally, I thought this is how it was always supposed to be, because mm -hmm. when when you created your army in the, I believe in, I think it's in the army creation, might have been in the attachments. It it pretty much said that the attachment was treated as if it was a part of the unit. Like almost as if you were, you know, you're just how it's kind of pictured in the rule book where the uh, attachment is aligned with the unit's uh, ability um, side, almost as if it's it's only one card now. So I just assumed that when a unit's abilities got shut off, it shut off the attachments as well. It wasn't until later on that I realized that 
you know, before this update that um, uh, if you shut off the unit's attachments or uh, abilities, it only shut off the unit and attachments for attachments, and it would have to specifically say both to do both. What do you think, uh, Brett? So generally, I, I tended to play it the way that you played it, where if the unit lost it, then the attachment lost it too, because it was part of the part of the unit. And then I was also told that that was wrong. And so um, now it's generally, for the most part, a lot of the things that you really think of, like Big Nasty Walter Frey and uh, Tywin Lannister, really their statement is just redundant at this point. That unit and its attachments lose all abilities. So it's generally a cleanup for... Uh, like Alistair, his card, I believe it just says that enemy loses all abilities and then surrounded and exposed says that enemy. And so it caused some confusion and some arguments where people said, well, that enemy meaning the unit and the attachment. And then there was, well, it doesn't call out attachment, so the attachment stays. It's just a good cleanup. I like it. It's it's the way it should have been. And it's just another another good sign that they're listening to what the community is saying and they're going back to clean this stuff up. It's definitely a positive sign when the, the company that you're buying into isn't afraid to kind of low-key say, okay, well, maybe we overlooked that, so let's just fix it, make it tidy, make it clean. And it's it's a very good sign from the company. So, Yep, I agree. What do you think, Jose? Uh, yeah, pretty much everything that, um, that Brett said. I mean, it's just more it's just like, a, like a housekeeping thing. Um I tended to, even before the rule, same thing as you guys said, I tended to understand that the attachment was, like, the abilities are part of the unit. Because, like, essentially, even if you think about when you're building your list, I mean, you're really, when you pay for an attachment, you're basically paying just to enhance a unit, essentially. So, I mean, that's just the way I understood it before, too. So, it's just, like, it's just good housekeeping right now. I'm going to start calling them unit enhancements from now on. <laughs> So, uh, all right, um, we're going to move on to the next one. Another, This is another one that's uh, it's a slight change, uh, and I think it's perfectly fine. I like it. Um, I will admit I used to do it uh, all the time, but only because it was you were allowed to, and it was clarified you were allowed to, but now they have changed that um, you can only shift with your ranged attack if after the shift you still have a viable target um, that you can shoot at uh, within your, you know, maximum maximum range and line of sight and all that good stuff. Um, and I would constantly be like, okay, I need to get away with this unit, and I also want to stop them from using the uh, the combat zone on me later, so I'm just going to take the combat zone declare a range attack on this unit and move further away or something like in Dance of Dragons uh, if, like, a range unit was able to capture one of them. And, you know, I don't, didn't necessarily agree with, you know, how it was played before, so I'm kind of glad to see this change because, it do, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. What do you think, uh, Jose? Uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's a good uh, clarification, once again. Um I, you know, to be honest with you, I before, you know, this rule change, I didn't even, like, I didn't even think of that. Like, I no one's used it on me before, and um, I have never used it on anybody before like that. And Have uh, you ever even was, used a range unit? 
I mean, I've had like Bowman for a little while. Fun. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. I've ever played against them with a range unit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, like I've, I've done it like a few times for fun here and there, like he's arranging it. But I mean, like, I would never have thought to even do that. So, uh, and like I said, no one's done it to me. So I, I've never had an issue with it. This never even come up. And when I brought the rule up, I was like, wow, you know what? That's a uh, that's crazy that they, they could have done that before. <laughs> We're gonna get you some puppies. <laughs> What do you think, Brett? You think it's, I'm guessing you're probably in the same boat, but yeah, uh, but unlike him, I've I've actually used it, so I guess that makes me a cheesy bastard. Um, <laughs> well, definitely well you're, you're not the <laughs> only one. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> in a dance with dragons, just like Dave said, a two-inch shift is is as much as a an infantry unit can maneuver. So it was a good way to try to back away, and uh, I used it a lot with pyromancers, actually. Um, if I was wanting to kind of hide them behind a unit and, and be able to shoot into combat, I could actually claim the shift for the free attack, even though I didn't have the target, and just shift them directly behind under the old rules. That was really the only way to make them unchargeable in the front. So if I had their little corner sticking out, I didn't want to get them dragged out, so I would just shift two back over and do nothing just to keep them out of sight. So I used it before. It's a good cleanup. And with that, it takes away the argument as to whether claiming the attack zone with Preston when you had no target counted as an action or not. I know a lot of people argued that, but now there's there's no question because you're either shooting or you don't get a shift. So good change. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm going to skip over the next couple um, because they're uh, a little more in-depth and try to power through a couple more of the clarifications. So another uh, change that the uh, or clarification I should say is uh, for combat bonuses. So it's before it was just worded in such a way that it implied. I think for most people it implied that a charge bonus was anything you gained while charging. So like a lance ability and from mm-hmm. uh, Knights of Castle Rock and just anything that would only grant upon a charge and. And I have to say, I was in this boat early on, like in the game, uh, until it was pointed out that the charge bonus is literally just the rerolls that you get for charging. So they have now clear, uh, changed up the wording to where they clarify that it's not uh, talking about like lance ability from knights or anything like that. It's just if you have something that shuts off a charge bonus, it's just shutting off those rerolls uh, and. Um, and that's under combat bonuses. It also talks about like flank bonuses and rear bonuses and so on. Uh, the only thing that was touched up as far as clarification was the charge bonus because a lot of people are just confusing it with like Lance and whatnot. What do you think, Justin? I think over the last like, I don't know, a year or whatever, looking at the Facebook page, I've seen that not even argument, just people clarifying for other people who have asked that question. So out of everything we've talked about so far, I feel like that might have been the one that's come up the most. Uh, so once again, just like everything we've talked about, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Yeah. Poor horse. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on from that one because, like I said, it's pretty straightforward and self-explanatory. Um so next one we're going to talk about 
is NCUs and influences. So this is probably one of the biggest changes uh, for me as far as a Stark player uh, is NCUs can now choose to do nothing. And the reason it is for me is because now that Wolves uh, give a victory point, which I never really liked, um, it was really just because of abilities that uh, would that could snipe them no matter where they were at. I had no problem being more strategic with them, but uh, like Mance Raider, his uh, wildling diplomacy, if they only left you two spots on the board and you had to take one, they just sniped your wolf and gave up a, v a victory point. Now that I could just choose to do nothing with my NCU to avoid giving up a victory point, I'm much more inclined to take the wolves again, especially with the, the points drops for Rickon and Todor. Um, so before, I was just not running wolves because I was too afraid of, you know, the potential of a, uh, you know, a wolf being sniped from, you know, out of nowhere without any of my, you know, anything I could say about it. But now, uh, now that you don't have to do anything with them, I think is a nice change. And uh, for me, it, makes sense, you know, if a combat unit can just do nothing, then you would think a non-combat unit would have the same options. What do you think, uh, Jose? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would tend to agree with you uh, with everything that you said. Um, I think, uh, especially the last part where if the, you know, combat units can choose to do nothing, NCU should also be able to. Um and um, it's, it's along with housekeeping. Yeah, I mean, even the, the example you gave with uh, Mance Raider, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, you know, because that, that's, that's a really tough uh, tough situation. You know, when, like, if, you know, rushing someone with, like, three MCUs and you have one spot left and they're forcing you to take it, you know, then, you, you, like you said, there goes the wolf. So it's kind of cool you can pass on that now. Good riddance, wolf. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of in the boat that I wish they would have insignificant. That way you could still take it away with, like, Walder, Walder, Walder Frey. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy enough with, uh, with the current state that I can deal with it, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, and really, in the situation, the example you gave, too, with Mance, I mean, it's not even really a nerf to Mance because you're, he's still making a person – Stay off the board, essentially. You know, so like you still get a, you still get the res a good result. Depends on your definition of nerf. Some people think any sort of minute negative to something is a nerf, and it really isn't. Uh, but if you ask well, some, some of the people, uh, they'd rather you take the spot so they can do those wounds. Those people. Well, because think of it this way, though. Because let's say. Uh, because uh, just now thinking about it, Mance's effect is only for that singular activation. So if I have multiple NCUs left, I can choose to not activate one, avoid the ability, and then activate the other one next uh, turn, my next activation, and then claim that spot I was originally going to claim if they have no more NCUs. So you, it kind of goes in line with uh, Mance's other card where it has the ability to um, uh, you can you're in the situation where you have the ability to avoid the situation. I forget his other card, but it basically gives you an out. 
Um, predictable. Uh, I think it's like if. Yeah, that one. Thank you. Predictable maneuvers. Yeah. It gives yep. gives you the ability to just kind of not do anything with that unit so that you don't get the negative. But what do you think, uh, um, Chris? I know you're you're sort of a you're a Stark and a Free Folk player, so you still hanging in there with us? Well, as far as Mance goes, that kind of makes me sad, but I mean, I get why they did it. Yeah. No more sniping dogs, because dogs don't run around sniping <laughs> units. That's yeah. True. Wolves are a little too underpowered. They need to have, like, ten attacks. Eight. Yeah, I was going to say, like, at least eight attacks hitting on twos. At I'll least. actually add it. A bit What's that, Brett? I said I'll actually add to this a little bit if I can. So I think it's actually interesting that uh, perhaps um, there's a way that you can use this card now and uh, instead of always waiting to use it when there were only two zones left just so you could automatically get it, maybe now you use it a little more um, proactively. And to get your opponent they, to do what they you go want. To claim a zone, yeah, like when they go to claim a zone and, and you know you want the maneuver zone, like if you've got Harmon, you don't want them to take them. Now maybe instead of, even if there's hmm. five zones left, you go ahead and mark the maneuver zone and you go ahead and mark the the letter. And then they they claim something that they didn't necessarily want to claim. And you get what of, you want. Like, I think the play was always to wait until there were only two zones left and then you go for those wounds. But I think now you can play it a little bit more tactically and get the zone that you want. Particularly, I'm looking at Steyr with a giant. If I have that card in my hand, and my giant's engaged, I'm absolutely going to mark the, the combat zone because if they take it, cool, they're going to take their five wounds. If they don't take it, then I'm going to bust them in the head with the giant, and I'm going to influence them with Steyr first. So it's kind of a make a choice, and, and maybe it'll open people's eyes to see that I really think that's what the card was meant to do from the beginning was to make them make a choice. Like Dave said, the other one, you know, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't, and we'll probably see it played more that way now. So... I agree. I think that uh, is a very good point that giving the, you know, I think uh, Michael has uh, made a very uh, big point that a lot of this stuff was meant to be, like a lot of things in the game were meant to be played a certain way uh, and they end up not being played that way. And so a lot of changes you see are just clarifications or, you know, changes in such a way to nudge you back in the direction of the original design and how it was supposed to operate. And I think this might be one of them. Um, you know, not just in general for NCUs, but I think in, you know, whether it was on purpose or incidentally, um, I feel like it helped uh, push Mance back to his original, you know, at least that card for him in that back in that original role it was supposed to be. Um but yeah, uh, let's uh, move on to the next one, um, influences. So so now, uh, I, let's see, so I'm going to read it, and you guys tell me if this is just a clarification or a change. If an effect ever causes a combat unit to lose all abilities, note that this does not include influence abilities unless, uh, unless it uh, specifically mentions it. So... I feel like that's just a clarification because um, I think that's how I always played it, but I don't know if I ever looked at it close enough to realize if I was playing it wrong. 
Uh, what do you think, Brett? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much hey, there with you. I tend to agree. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I had it I had it muted because the baby's being loud. Oh, no, no, no problem. Multitasking. No, you're good. I, so you I tend to agree. So. Okay, I, so I you think well it's, it. it's more of a clarification than it is a, a change? Yeah, I think so, yes. What were you, Jose? Um, did you get the same from that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a clarification. Um, I think it was something that um, – actually, believe it or not, I feel like a lot of new players got that confused. So it's just a clarification. Um, I don't think it's a change. I never understood it that you know the influence was part of the unit's ability. So yeah, and there is a part uh, above it. It says NCU cards uh, attached to a unit are not attachment cards. Um, only not like the word "not" is in red. So I, I'm assuming that's new as well. But I'm pretty sure that's just clarification as well. Um, you know, I think most people knew that they weren't an attachment. They're their own thing, you know. They're just an influence uh, MCU uh, on the unit, kind of in the much of the same way that uh, vows are not um, like attachments in any way, like in in the regard of the word attachment. Yeah, so I, I should have actually mentioned that when you when you called on me. I think the the confusion from that per. Uh, excuse me, sorry. Maybe possibly came from uh, the wording on Tywin's card. Is a little is a little weird. It says that unit and any attachments on it, and so I think maybe just that word "any" opened up the door to where people were trying to interpret. Well, what's an attachment? Well, an NCU attaches to this unit, so perhaps they lose the influence. So I think that's why they cleaned it up, just just so that no, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody would really have any questions as to what an attachment is. So, yeah. All right, so going to move on to the next one, which is uh, like triggers of tactics cards, and I'm assuming orders might fall under this as well, but uh, just triggers in general. Um, so basically, it just cleans up uh, when certain things are supposed to be played. Uh, the example it gives is when a friendly combat unit is attacked after attack dice are rolled and when a friendly combat unit is attacked with a ranged attack after defense dice are rolled are the same trigger. So it's basically uh, clarifying that um, when you're attacking, all the, all the cards that have a when attacking are the same trigger. Now, one question that comes up is when do you declare it? Do you declare it when the full trigger? Uh, so would you declare it immediately when the attack happens? So even though one is after defense and one's after attack, would you declare them all at the same time at right when the uh, attack is happening or after, um, after like when it says dice after rolls. an attack, dice are rolled? Yeah, that's when you play it but it's just saying that they're the same trigger, so you can't play multiple. Um, so it, it's essentially that... just... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, it, it's more or less saying when you attack or when you defend, you can buff yourself with one thing, more or less, minus the occasional things that don't fall in that category. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, it... 
pretty sure that, you know, that it's just one of those clarifications and uh, to help, you know, because sometimes the triggers can get kind of confusing. Uh, it would be nice if the trigger was in its own, like, line, and then the stipulation for the trigger was in another line. Um, that way you knew for a fact what trigger was what uh, because it would be in its own its own line on the card. I remember think, a tournament uh, that I played against you, and you did that. Yeah. Well, to be fair, we asked the... Yeah, the, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what do you think, Brett? Brett, we lose you. No, I'm here. Sorry. Um. Yeah, it's um. I think uh. I think this one has always been uh, the timing of this trigger exactly. I I think some of them were pretty clear. And some of them kind of left room for interpretation. I know we had this really big conversation about it on Discord as it pertained to uh, Great John Umber being able to re-roll any attack dice and when did this happen and when did that happen. Um, I think they've gone. A, I think they've gone a long way towards cleaning it up, and uh, I think they've. I think it's pretty clear at this point. So I think it was a a pretty good change. I agree, because uh, even, it even confused me from time to time, because, you know, I heard one thing where, you know, you could play, uh, you know, it wasn't always very clear what was the trigger and what was the timing, you know, most people knew that part of it was a trigger and part of it was the timing, um, but a trigger in itself is a timing, you know, it's, that's why it's a trigger. It's something that triggers it at a certain timing of the game. So that's why, like, a lot of times, you know, if you had one that was before attack dice are rolled and after attack dice are rolled, uh, you could play, you know, some people would play that you could play both of them, and some people would play that you couldn't play, couldn't play both of them. But now uh, I think it's definitely cleared that up a bit. Jose, what do you think? You have uh, anything? Uh, no, honestly, I think you guys pretty much, pretty much got it covered. I think I'm in the same, same boat here. Gotcha. It's a crowded boat. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then next one we're going to go to is uh, Simo activations. So, in here it lists both players have declared any uh, effects they wish to trigger, those effects will then be resolved, begin with the player whose turn it, uh, it is resolving their effect first, followed by the opponent. So um, I'm pretty sure this is just a clarification because this is how we've all been playing, um, but I think before it just wasn't as clear, uh, so people always had the, the question of how do you resolve it. But, I thought um, I set it in the rule book personally. That's why I always did it that way. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's just one of those uh, clarifications, and it just it adds, you know, a little more text isn't going to hurt anyone unless, like, you know, you're getting to be, like, a dictionary, you know, 
I remember, I don't know if you guys played it, but uh, Warhammer 40K, like, I think it was, what, 7th edition? Every edition other than, like, 8, you know, the books were huge. And reading the rules took forever. And then even after you read through them, like, you only grasped a little bit of it. But, you know, I think, what, this uh, this one is only, like, 30 pages? Uh, a little less. I mean, this rule book is only, like, 26 pages long. And a lot of it is filler, too. It's, you know, pretty big pictures and whatnot, like, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of, again, that's one of the things I love about it. You know, coming from, like you said, I think, I think we all here pretty much played Warhammer Fantasy or 40K or both. And, you know, I always remember... The big rules, you know, everybody had a codex, you know, and then half the game you spend nose deep looking in the rules of the codex, and I don't find myself doing that with this game, you know? Yep. So, hey, Dave. All right, we're going to – yep, go ahead. Sorry, I'm going to go back for like two seconds because now my my brain is a little slow tonight. I'm sorry. I processed everything that you were asking me, and I think I have a – a better example of exactly what they're trying to clean up with those trigger windows. I think so in a situation where you've got a card that says something like when a damaged enemy combat unit activates, then you've got another card that says when a, when an enemy unit activates. And I remember when I was a first player, I asked if there was a difference uh, between when a panicked unit activates versus when a unit activates, like, well, can I play these both? Because they're kind of different triggers because one is a panic unit. The other one isn't. And then, you know, you kind of realize, well, it doesn't matter. The activation or the trigger window is actually when they activate. Sometimes cards just add more stipulations, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the same window. And I think that's pretty much what they're trying to clear up there. So I'm sorry that I missed that earlier. It took me a second to process it. But I'm pretty sure that exact thing is what they're trying to clear up. Which is good because I think there's always been confusion. Not even Maybe not confusion is the right word, but... Uh, people get hung up on the trigger windows. They see triggers and they're like, well, it's worded differently, but it's really just indicating a window in which it can happen. Exactly. So it's I, I can see where the confusion happens because it happened to me very early in the game. I thought that I could play a card. Like I think it was Paid Mutiny and one of Roos's cards. One of them is when a panic enemy mm-hmm. activates, and then one of them is when a unit activates. And so I can see where it got confused. So it's definitely a good change. It just kind of makes you think about what the actual trigger is versus just some added stipulations that might be on a card. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's go on to uh, re-rolls. So, um, and abilities, stacking, and uh, the loss of abilities. Um, the re-rolls, from what I understand, most people were doing wrong, and it was just never uh, – or maybe not most, but a lot, like a significant amount that uh, that they definitely uh, added some clarification on how it was supposed to work. Um, Brett, do you have like a better uh, idea of uh, the changes for this one? Brett? He may have All right, sorry, away. Justin. Oh. <laughs> All right, so uh, die may only be ever forced to be rolled once by each player. So, I mean, 
already kind of knew that. Um, I think it was coming down to some players were contributing uh, when you re-roll. So let's say, Justin, you had a weekend on me, and I charge. Um, and I charge, you make me, you try to make me re-roll, and then I try to argue that, well, I already re-rolled, and you're physically making me re-roll my dice again. Not that one of the re-roll effects were for me and one was from you. And, yeah, I know. I got I mean, caught up in that in the beginning of the game. I'm like, wait, so we're re-rolling it twice? That seems so powerful. Yeah. So, like, I can't have, like, uh, what's an effect? Um, like, Cranigman Warden and a charge effect both let me re-roll t- my own dice twice. But I can re-roll my own dice once, and then the opponent can make me re-roll my dice once um, with their effect, uh, usually just being a weakened token. I'm not sure if I know of anything beyond a weakened token that makes your enemy re-roll, but, um, but yeah, so I think that's just, you know, one of those clarifications. I think it just goes on um, to clarify that further, um, which I think so that they didn't have to keep adding to clarifying this, they just they added three different bullet points um, to clear that up. So um, it, It's kind of like next the is, John Umber thing when he could re-roll any attack dice. So it's just kind of general yeah. clearing up some confusion on that. Each person gets to roll their dice once. And that's just a clean up. Sorry. Yep. Uh, ability stacking and loss of abilities. Um, again, just another clarification about what is going to, uh, what can and cannot stack. Uh, basically, any effects that are similar can stack, can stack, but they can't be the same ability, such as if I have uh, thundering and then I have, let's make up a word and, I don't know, uh, slashing and they both give minus one to armor save, they would stack. Um, whereas if you have two Sunderings, they don't stack. Um, I don't know, do you guys have a, like a better example of like actual in-game abilities that are similar? I guess the, the Warden uh, and Charging, that would be two of the same ability well, that... Sorry, a flank and thundering are the a flank and thundering are the same. They're both minus one. A rear and vicious yep. are the same. They're both minus two. But oh, since yeah, they're good, different sources, then then they can stack. So it's just like you can't stack thundering for a minus two, but you can do thundering in the flank for a minus two. Yep. So yeah, like getting the objective. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say. So it's just clarifying, like you know, the stacking, and then it says additionally some uh, sometimes an ability or effect will remove abilities from a unit. When this happens, the unit loses the effects of all non-innate abilities printed on their card, as well as abilities uh, and effects from any attachments on the unit. Removing a unit's ability uh, will have no effect on the abilities 
or effects granted by other sources unless specifically mentioned. So I think this is just going back to the, I think this is just going back to um, the part of removing um, like from the unit and or attachment. This is just kind of like combining in from there. Uh, Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say, hold on. I had it and then it was gone. Um, oh yeah, if you're on the objective card, for instance, that gives you melee or um, vicious and thundering, but you take D3 wounds. It wouldn't get rid of that, but as an example. Or Roderick's uh, critical blow. And Correct. have Othel Yarwood's card. So it, that's generally because we had that gigantic discussion everywhere about what was lost and well, what's really granting an ability. So now they've super-duper-duper cleaned that up, and I'm really happy about that. So, for example, if you Walder Frey Horn Sword, they don't get Critical Blow from Stark Fury, but you can Roderick them and get your Critical Blow right back. So it's just saying that that's possible. And then you can get use Northern Ferocity to get Thundering back on Berserkers. And so you lose what's printed on the card, but then in a, a card or an influence can give it right back to you. So... It's just that's the way it okay. would have always been, and they've just they've just officially made it that way. That makes sense. I would definitely like that change. Um, it definitely clears it up. Uh, so, let's see. Next on our list, I believe we are done with all the small stuff. We're going to go to resolving attacks. So this one isn't as big as the next two, but it was big enough. Um, that I wanted to save it for one of the last ones. Um, so they just added in a couple steps. Um, so like I'll go through all the steps and I'll highlight the ones that they've added. So you determine the attack dice, you roll the attack dice, um, and then you apply attack dice rerolls, and then defender rolls defense dice, uh, apply defense dice rerolls, defender suffers wounds, Defender makes panic test and attack completed. So um, I think this uh, goes on to just clarify the different steps of when the triggers will happen as well um, by breaking these up even further. Uh, That way you know when you're supposed to, you know, use your effects. Yeah, I think this is a I think this is a big one. Um, I think uh, just again, just for, like everything else here, just for clarification. But I know that, that sometimes there was some like confusion. You know, it's for, like I think we mentioned before too. Like, what part should you use a certain tactic card, or you know, um, I know I even I know like uh, even like surge force, like as part of the attack action, um, that was also like in question sometimes. Uh, one thing came up. What do you think, Justin? Uh, I mean, to me, it seems like they're breaking down the the as Brett was saying earlier, the trigger windows. It's just another clarification of these are the times in which things can happen. Yeah. Yeah, because. The attack, I'm definitely glad to see the attack uh, step to be broke down more because, you know, that's when most everything is happening in this game. Um, You know, there's so many things that go on during, you know, combat, during your attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that it's nice to kind of see more text given to it to uh, just clarify. What do you think, uh, Brett? Anything we missed? I don't think so. Did we um, did we cover the, the third, fourth happening, or is that no? That's uh, yeah, that's the very next thing on the list. Um, so search for okay, great. Well, uh, yeah, so they at the very end of that it says attack completed, and then you move on to search forth. So that was to clarify um, if you had search forth and or if your search forth turned into an overrun, uh, but you also had counter charge, which would happen first, um, and this. Even though search force is its own thing, it's listed directly under attack completed. Um, and so it's almost like an extension of that while still being separate. What do you think, it was Brett? Definitely a, it was a good thing to clean up. It was causing a lot of issues and arguments, and uh, so it was definitely a nice touch to add that in there and kind of clean that up and, and get that straightened out. Yeah, and it always made sense. Um, and uh, of which one, for me, anyways, it made sense which one would go first. But uh, it's nice, you know. One of the big things I couldn't stand about uh, Warhammer uh, 40k when I, you know, I still collect it and I still have all my stuff and I absolutely love the models and the lore. But as far as the game itself, too many arguments about all the different rules and things they have uh, would take away from the fun of the game. And just all, you know, we've been saying it all night uh, for this entire show, we've been saying the word clarification. And that's what most of all of this is. It's clarification, and it's just, it's helping to prevent the arguments in the future, which is something I will always be a fan of because too many times has the mood been ruined in in the middle of the game. Uh, too many times has the mood been uh, ruined in the middle of the game that... Uh, sorry, Brett, do you... Uh, no, you're good. Oh, it's, it's my daughter. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, too many times has the mood been ruined in the middle of the game where it's it just takes away from the fun. You know, there's even been times where it's like, you know, I'd rather just kind of pack up and go home or just pack up and start a new game with someone else uh, because some of the, you know, rules debates can get so heated. Um, but, you know, this game, I mean, there's almost never times where we're arguing about like the rules, like there might be a rules question where we're like, I wonder what, and then we just kind of come to a simple conclusion or, or whatnot, because it's usually pretty minor. Um, or it's usually, we can figure out the answer with, uh, if we can't find it out by the rules as written, we usually can find it out by the rules as intended as a backup. So. We well, think, I, I think uh, we Justin, I'm I'm sorry, oh, Brett. We well, <clears throat> excuse me. I just think we need to take this opportunity where we're talking about surge forth to to point out that the change is actually low key a uh, buff to countercharge, right? So if you read the 
if you read the text in that box, it says that after all cards have been played and effects coming from the attack, including a unit destroyed, then you do search forth. So now counter charge definitely happens before search forth. So they can't anticipate a counter charge and move away further from that charge before the player would get to play the charge. They're going to get smacked with counter charge in the spot that they're in if they have that card. And then that goes for, like, it's the opposite for Watcher on the Wall. So if your plan was to let them move to where they're going to move and then you march up afterwards to get the better position, well, you have to play Watcher on the Wall first, and then they get to do their search for So they're kind of going to know where you're moving that unit. And uh, it seems to me, and unless I'm wrong, and you can read the box and correct me if I'm wrong, counter charge would happen before overrun, and so you might be able to interrupt their overrun by countercharging into them first. Um, I'd ha- <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I'd have to look it up, but pretty sure uh, um, overrun is the exact same uh, trigger as search forth. Um, it just is changing the rules of it <clears throat> of what you can do. So yeah, it's it's nice to see that because um, well, like you're mentioning. Let me, let me read this. Let me read it exactly, and then we can go, because I, I might have read it wrong, and I'm not too proud to admit that. You should be. I <laughs> I just had it, and then I lost it. One moment. Search for Yeah, while you're finding it. The attack completely oh. destroys the defending unit with melee, including the... Um, Including the panic, panic test, their momentum allows them to surge forth. Once all abilities, effects, and or cards that trigger from the attack's resolution, including units being destroyed, have been resolved, the attacker may make one free maneuver action, assuming they are unengaged. So, yes, uh, all of that stuff is going to happen now before surge forth. That is a big change. That's a big deal. Because if surge forth is being replaced with overrun, they will get to countercharge you before you get to overrun into them. So it's actually kind of a, a swing in things, really. That's that's definitely a big change. Yep, and it makes sense. I mean, because uh, even with just the game mechanic of it, counter charge. I mean, unless you're super close, after a unit gets their surge force and they move away, let's say on average five inches, um, you're making that charge unless you're super close, super hard, and it almost made the card worthless. If if you were able to search forth before you played it, so now that they've clarified it, it definitely gives a lot more strength, or it it clarifies the strength of the card rather than uh, the potential nerf of it had it been the other way. Yeah, and I I think it um, it takes a couple of things that people really had some major issues with that the guys playing without or playing with Kickstarter models might have had an issue with overrun being a little powerful. Well, uh, it now has obviously a, a hard counter in counter charge from Tormund or the Baratheon deck. And then additionally, another gripe people have is watcher on the wall because it's a really game changing card. Well, like I already said, they're going to have to march their unit where they're going to march their unit. And then you get to decide where you're going to search for too. So, yeah, you might even be right. able to turn around and overrun into them since you get a pivot before you charge. So, kind of yep. interesting. All right, I'm going to move on to the two biggest topics. So, panic tests. So, I absolutely love this change, um, and I think it 
is like going to be, I feel like it's going to be really good for the game. Um, I know a lot of people uh, have not gotten a lot of testing in with it. And you've been seeing a lot of people, you know, complaining about what it'll do to the game. But I can tell you after only doing one tournament with the new panic rules, even though they actually hurt me uh, way more than they helped me, um, I have to say I definitely liked them. I felt like it adds a lot more to the game. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I love playing my Starks and Berserkers, um, uh, Umber Great Axes. I'll run like Blackfish to increase the Great Axes morale. My four up morale is all over the board. I never failed anything, ever. And I never had to worry about morale. And now with the new rules, I was actually, even with my four up morales, I was losing, uh, you know, a significant amount of guys compared to what I was before. And now I felt like it wasn't, you know, it made me as a player have to uh, keep that in the back of my head that I might lose more guys with the panic test now, that it's not just going to be whatever I fail for my armor saves. So uh, I'm going to go to Justin, because I know you're, you're our local Bolton player, and, you know, you, all what? your guys what? pretty much have Vicious. Yeah, before, that really didn't matter. I can tell you, I after, like, I don't know, my first 10 games, I never once relied on my Vicious to actually do any damage. If it did, sweet. <laughs> but I always tried to kill things regardless of that because it was so all over the place. And 90% of the time, even though I always threw pit or uh, course piles down, uh, it definitely hurt me more than it ever helped me every time. But I felt like it was very fluffy, so I always did it. Now, I play Brazians <laughs> at the tournament, and it was all over the place. Uh, it was it was constant damage from the panic test, even on Brazians. Wardens with five-up saves. Poor Jose failed two five-up morales in a row next to me, and it was uh, – I felt – I'm sorry, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, the Stagnites, they didn't, uh, they didn't hold out, so. So I'm, I want to, like, you know, get a lot of Brathian games in because I've always been a Brathian fan since right after the first season came out of the show, because that's when I read the books. Uh, but now with the new Panic, I really want to try out my Boldens, and I feel like both the Flare and the Dreadfort Captain are going to be so much nicer now, because not only did Panic become more consistent, but Panic tokens are now more valuable than they've ever been. Yeah, and I feel like unless you were super, like, hyper, you know, Panic-focused, Panic tokens were easily worse than weakened and vulnerable tokens. And oh, that was like, for sure. For sure. Now, now with the boost panic tokens, it's, you know, as long as you have some sort of vicious or anything, really, or even if maybe you don't have any of that stuff and they have bad morales, maybe just uh, picking a panic token over a vulnerable, let's say, you know, uh, raiders, uh, free folk raiders, they hit, not you know they don't hit very hard and they have a five up save so I'd rather just you know as a Stark player I'd still throw a panic token on them now I think um, just to make sure they fail and then make sure I have a better chance of wiping out maybe a row of guys um, whereas you know putting the vulnerable on them it's still a viable option especially if you're running something like Roderick who wants the vulnerables out there. Um, you know, it, it puts it on the same level as the other tokens now. 
Yeah, it makes my lists for Roos and Ramsey so much more powerful because I really only use the panic tokens for their abilities. I never, I mean, I would use them if I had the opportunity and it might help, you know, but really they were just there to proc my cards. Now they proc the cards and do awesome damage. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Britt? You know, you're uh, a former Lannister player. Hey, I still identify as a Lannister player, okay? I I moderate <laughs> that uh, Facebook Lannister page, and I help people make lists. Uh, dude, uh, anybody who's saying that Lannister's got a nerf with this, they and I'm not going to pick at them and say that they're they're not they don't know what they're talking about. You got to play some games because Lannisters are horrifying now. Um, they were already scary before, but. You, you know, you're not losing eight guys, but it's definitely more consistent damage, and you are more inclined to do that kind of damage to stuff with higher morale. Panic tokens are way better than they were because you get to roll that D3, and you've got a way better chance of doing three to four instead of just two. And, uh, yeah, it's it's nastiness. Roos is definitely going to be really, really nasty, so much so that he might even be able to overcome some of those weaknesses that come from having an NCU commander. It's it's probably almost worth it. And then on the flip side to that, Chase from On the Table Gaming mentioned um, for the free folk, the ability to heal two wounds seemed insignificant before when you're losing six, seven, eight guys to a panic check, but now it might only be two, so um, being able to heal those two back is substantial. So I think it does a lot of things. It definitely changes the game. Uh, heal is very important and stalwart and anybody that's got a um, an order for at any cost you really want to consider putting that in your list because I've been playing it a lot and uh, I've been using veterans with a pretty solid morale of five but they are just getting bombarded with panic and uh, you only need to get one wound through and it's like every time you roll a panic check, like you're clenching your butt cheeks together. I know, right? <laughs> you only have to fail by one. It's like, damn it. It's like this five seems so doable, but if I roll a four, it's like I might take four wounds. I'm going to get hosed. So you know, everything that modifies panic, uh, vicious rear charges, corpse piles when they're unfortunate enough to be on the table, those things are huge. Uh, they're bigger than they were before. I, I swear it's true. Um, I think Lannisters with Cersei are just consistently laying out uh, two to four wounds, two to four wounds, two to four wounds, and it does not take long to add up. Uh, Cersei on a yep. unit, and now you're looking at a unit that's going to charge you that has Vicious. Then you're looking at their crossbows behind them that you know are going to shoot into you, and we haven't even talked about Hear Me Roar. So it's nasty. Um, it's a solid change. Um and I, I, or even I just, uh, or even just fealty. I mean, fealty to the crown. As long as you make sure you have that crown, you're no longer going to be able to get that insane, you know, swing. Like if you the, somehow lost six guys and you get eight back, but you're going to consistently be able to play it and get what five guys back now. Um, you're going to have yeah. more opportunities, I should say to do it rather than have to hold on to it for it's like oh man they only failed by one i don't really feel like playing it right now you know so now on average what you're losing three guys because you're going to roll a two on average on that die um and if you have the crown you're you're talking about an average of three uh three to five guys depending if you have the crown back 
um, no matter when they, as long as they fail. So you're going to be able to yep. dish out the fealty quicker. Yep, it's substantial. It's not got the ceiling that it's got that it had before, but I think by the law of averages, and they've actually crunched the numbers. And if you look at it um, up to a certain point, you're doing more on average. So the morale five, six, seven guys are, like I said, they're clenching their butt cheeks every time. My vet can no longer that. say it's depressing. I it's know everybody's that that our tournament. Vet, so. At our tournament, What's that? I think at our tournament, Jose and I, when we were playing, and basically everyone I played, every time we rolled the dice for the panic, we're like, ah. <laughs> no matter who you were, <laughs> what you're doing, every time you're like, this is the worst. <laughs> it's drama. It's so in, it's, like, it's so intense. Those rolls are so cute. Like you get and then re-rolling the D3 for panic. Oh, my God. That, I know. Like, yeah, you definitely, you definitely want to throw panic tokens out. I think situationally they're – they're going to be better than vulnerable, and uh, they at least contend with vulnerable. Um, even scrub like Lannister guardsmen, they get their one little shiv in, and then that panic token turns it into four. It's like I'm getting literally beat by guardsmen in a static fight. This is horrible. Lannister supremacy yeah. with the guard captain is so much more valuable than before too. It is, yeah. But they're, I mean, little dudes are doing work now too. I used to make fun of them like. They're going to hurt me with their pillow, and then if I don't attack them, they're not going to hurt me. Well, you, you can't really just let them poke you anymore because, you know, there's the chance that they're going to get that three to four from just sticking one wound through. So it's nasty. You no, know, um, it's actually kind of funny because, no offense, Dave, but you technically won the tournament because of guardsmen and captains. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because Lucas, if he would have won that game, he would have had three wins. <laughs> Oh, is that how he lost? He lost a bunch of. Oh yeah, he played uh, Anthony, who had a bunch. Yeah, it was of like guardsmen. four guardsmen and captains. <laughs> yeah, and one unit. mountainsman. Yeah, yeah. They can get it. They can get it done by charging now. Cameron charged was... my veterans with Jon Snow tonight, and like for the first time ever, I was like, I really don't want these guards to charge me because all he, he well he had seriously on the the veterans. <laughs> what a weird like, thing. If to I say. roll anything. But a six or seven, I'm about to lose this objective and the game, and so yeah, it's it's pretty scary. I uh, I think one of the best examples of of what this change did on two different spectrums, like is what you mentioned, Dave. That you know you have your umbers, you know they got like a four up, the berserker four up uh, morale, and and you're still you're still worried about rolling panics, and then someone like Free Folk who has a super high morale, you know it's a little bit better for them. You know, they roll snake eyes and not losing a bunch of dudes or like guys they could, but like less than what they were before. Um, I think that was, I think that's a perfect example of what this change did. Uh, and I think it's a good example of how I am. Again, this is my opinion, but how it balanced that out. Cause I think, uh, for example, like if, if free fold, a free fold player was going against uh, Lannister, like, you know, I would say a lot of people put their money in the Lannister just because everyone knows free folks with their morale. I mean, you know, whereas now it's it could be a little more up in the air. You know, uh, I I kind of think I kind of like that change in that sense. Uh, one highlight I want to bring to it is how much better uh, any attachment is now that 
provides Vicious. One in particular I want to mention is Umber Champions. Uh, before, I thought they were an amazing purchase at one point anyways, uh, but now that Vicious will cause that extra, uh, almost in most cases, cause the extra D3 plus 1 from the um, panic test, it like, uh, what am I trying to say? It's it basically counters the fact that you're going to do D3 to yourself, if not, you know, technically more, because the panic test is doing D3 plus one. So uh, now you're trading off that vicious, giving you that almost guaranteed uh, panic on averages um, with most units. It counters the D3 you're then going to do to yourself, um, making the extra two attacks just bonus. What do you guys think? I don't, I don't like your Umber champs at all. I don't, like umber. I don't like his Umber. I don't like his No, you're you're right. Umber champs are are even more terrifying. Um, you, you used to be well, Starks don't really have much to negate panic. So why am I super worried about vicious? I don't want to pile up dead bodies and. But now, you know, it's it's definitely got merit too. Like I already said, it's it's close to to what a vulnerable token is going to get you. It's always situational, but um, God, Umbers are so strong. Yeah. I know they're so weird. <laughs> uh, we, we don't we don't like your Umbers, Dave. But I I mean I played I had a stint with Starks. I played close to thirty games with them, so I know what they're capable of and. They're they're a solid solid army and um they've just got a bunch of options for stalwart too so they're they're in a good spot for like everything. There's, I feel like they've a, always been in a good knight. spot. They've got a good answer for everything. Once Mage Mormont becomes legal, you've got Tully, Mage, Bronn, and Brienne all that can add stalwart, and then you've got Eddard who is unpanicable. So. Basically, five dudes that don't care about panic. So, good for you, Starks. Uh, <laughs> I guess Lannisters have it too. They've got guards go home and, for days. I'm gonna leave and go cry now. <laughs> I know, right? It's just but, frustrating. But no, yeah, they're in a good spot. And if there's uh, anything else you guys want to add, otherwise we can move on to the last uh, part of our show. The last yeah, we, topic. I, I'm done. I talk too damn much. Right. I'm done. It's true. So, so the last one is charging. Now let me find the page here. So, I feel like this is a pretty big change, but I, uh, I'm in the boat that I like it a lot. Um, I like that it adds more defensiveness and more thought into the way you position your guys. Uh, I will agree that there are some situations that are a little goofy. Um, that you can do to prevent a charge, uh, such as, you know, um, like turning them in just a way that you can't reach 50-plus uh, percent of the unit. But um, I'll read uh, the small the small uh, bit of text here. So now when you are declaring your charge, you have to have line of sight to the arc of the target uh, here, let's see, you have to have line of sight arc 
of the target unit must uh, must have space for the attack, uh, attacker's tray to the line at least 50% of the tray without being uh, obstructed by another unit or terrain. So this basically means you have to be you have to try for 50 or 100. If you can't, it has to be 50 plus. So anywhere between 50 and 100%. It can't be 49% or less. Um, but before you go to like 51, 52, or whatever, you have to try for 100 or 50. No longer, uh, with the with the exception of engaging multiple enemies, do you move your enemy to align with you. Um, it is now only the attacker aligning to the enemy. Um, and I feel like this clears up way, way more than it uh, than situations uh, appear that make it confusing. Um, and I feel like this is going to be an overall good change for the game. It will take a bit of getting used to, but I think overall it's really good. Yeah, especially for you, man. You're you're over here. I know a lot of games. Me and you have played. You're over here doing sneaky little charges, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely a big adjustment for you. No, I'm just playing. But in general, though, yeah, I think I think it'll be an adjustment. I think everyone does has you know always try to like nick something and try and get in there with a charge, you know. Um, I think even in a tournament, you were you know you strategically used your wolves to like kind of blocked me from getting that 50 and it worked out really well for you. Um, so it's kind of cool to see um, something to do with something different. Using that using the new rule for the charging, so. Yep. And as far as terrain, I believe the only one that really comes into play is the Palisade, which uh, is impassable. Uh, if I'm correct, it's the only one that's impassable, so the only one that's going to prevent the aligning to be 50 uh, plus percent. Um, otherwise, it's really just going to come from other units. What do you think, Brett? Um, it's a change. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. <laughs> I'm in the process of finalizing an article on On the Table Gaming. Um, we've mentioned that we all played Warhammer before, so playing the Warhammer game, you know about the chaff game, the redirect game that, oh, you're in my front arc, you have to charge me in the front, and uh, I'm going to be able to prevent you from doing this, this, and this. Didn't see it a whole lot in this game, but there's definitely a lot of merit to it at this point. Um, I use dogs a lot in my examples, but um, I know dogs are worth a point. You don't necessarily want to throw them away, but if the game is on the line, and it's your commander is down to your commander and one of his buddies, and they're staring across the battlefield at death, and you can squeeze that dog right in front of them, right in the middle of that, that triangle where the front arc is blocked. I mean, that's, that's check and mate, man. They can't, they can't kill your commander. They can't stop you from scoring two points. It's huge. Um, Welcome to my world. Yeah, I mean, there's... But it's 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 smart play and it it rewards smart play and there's obviously if you're chaffing with a unit there's no half victory point units in this game everything's worth one point in Warhammer you chaffed with a unit that was one eightieth of your army allowance so like oh word 
you killed my 30-point unit of dogs of my 2,500-point army. That's fine. It's different in this game. So a victory point is a victory point, and sometimes you're just not going to be able to throw that chap out there, but sometimes you are. And uh, I generally like it. It's going to take some adjusting, um, but it's definitely in the long run it's going to reward smart play. And I, I was afraid that it would take away from some of the beer and pretzels type of game, but, man, if you're playing with your buddies and you just want to play it straight up like a brawl and there's nothing on the line, just play it the old way if it's, if it's that big of a deal. Or just, you know, if it's a millimeter, just let them like, oh, well, if you would have pivoted back one thirty-second of an inch more, you could have fit into this arc, so I'm just going to let you pivot it back. You know what I mean? You can always do that in friendly play. But in competitive yep. play, which is which is what a lot of people want to do, it's going to be huge to to really be aware of your position on the battlefield and how far you've pivoted that unit. Can I fit in this spot with my tray being there? Because if they if they overlap at all and you're not at fifty percent, like you're hosed. And it's I think it's cool. It's neat. It's going to bring some of the uh, some of the luck out of it, and it's going to. I think ultimately it's going to reward smart play, smart positioning. And as far as some of these things that you see where these guys build this intricate battle formation, you will never get to me. Like, if you actually play the game, like, that kind of stuff doesn't realistically really happen. It's turn-based activation, and setting up and holding that kind of a defensive formation is going to be really difficult. So my suggestion is always get out, play it, see how you like it, and then... I think ultimately you've got to have faith that the developers tested this stuff and they kind of know what they're doing because they built us a really cool game so far. So I don't think they would just all of a sudden like just throw that out there if they hadn't tested it. And so I have firm belief that it's going to ultimately improve the, improve the game. So I'm, I'm good with it. It's interesting and it'll get some change for me, but I'm all for it. So, yep. Yeah, I think and, I think uh oh sorry Dave, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well I was gonna say I, I think uh you know, definitely I, I totally agree with you, Brett. Um I think especially the part where you said that uh it rewards smart play. You know, you definitely have to be a lot more strategic with positioning. Um, I mean with in every aspect. Um and I, 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 I like that. Um and me I would say I'm I don't know, casual competitive. Like, I I do competitive stuff, but I'm not like, I don't know, I'm not uh, like nitty gritty at all costs or you know. Yeah, you know, like I I'm looking to have it. My 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 whole thing is like whether I win or lose, I prefer to have a close game and have it be a lot of back and forth. Those are the games I look for as a player. Uh, I mean, even if I win by like a landslide, it's not it's not fun, you know, for me just because I I'd rather be close and you know, neck and neck and, and whatever. And I, I like to see good strategy. I like to see, I like to be able to be like, man, that was a really good move. You know, I never would have seen that coming or, or vice versa or whatever the case is. So um, for me, I'm, I'm, I kind of like it. Like I said, it makes you have to think more, uh, be more careful about where you put things, uh, how you set things up. Um, and it's because like you said, it's a little less forgiving essentially. So, and I, I, I kind of, I kind of like that. Yep, I agree. And uh, one thing I wanted to point out is in the situations where you are, uh, where the attacker does align anywhere from like 51 to like 99%, um, 
incidentally, or you know, I'm sure strong possibility it's on purpose, but uh, that also then means if you are more than 50% uh, that you basically are considered 100% um, in the sense that now anyone else trying to charge either of you cannot um, because you, the remaining of your trays are less than 50%. Um, so just, just remember it's pretty much you either get 50 and you're 50 or you get 51 to 100 and you're basically 100 uh, for all intents and purposes because no one else is going to be able to fit in there legally. Um, but yeah, I feel like this change is, is great and I'm excited. I'm excited for any uh, change uh, that's going to help me grow as a player. You know, being having to be more strategic in order to win games uh, is definitely something I look forward to. You know, trying to overcome and it's just in you know increase my experience. Um, what do you think, Justin? Uh, well, I guess I I'm fine with it. It didn't really affect me before because I honestly don't know if anyone's ever had to shift into me before as me charging, but I know it happens a lot. Uh, I just, I don't take as much effort into my positioning, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm a little on the lazy side sometimes, but it's definitely a great change for the people who want to be rewarded for very strategic positioning. Cause I feel like that's, that's what makes or breaks and defines like a competitive player any anyone can learn how to use their tactics decks. Anyone can learn the tactics that they they see someone else do and and act with them. I think what defines the better players is the way in which they move their units. So yep. this rewards that a lot more. Definitely. All right. Um, I think uh, unless you guys have anything else to add, I think we're gonna wrap up uh, the show here. Um, so there was a few clarifications that we did leave out just so if there's, uh, you guys listening out there, um, they were like super small and minute. Um, I would suggest looking over the, the new rules, um, anything in pink that you notice we didn't cover, but they're basically just self-explanatory clarifications. Um, but, uh, but before we end, we're going to give a shout out, uh, to the, Adepticon Primer in Indianapolis uh, in January. Uh, but I'm going to let Brett kind of uh, tell you guys about that one. All right. Yeah. So basically, um, oh, thanks. Thanks for the shout out, by the way. Um, it's yeah, being no coined as an Adepticon Primer because obviously it's right before Adepticon. It's a couple months before Adepticon. But the big fact is uh, Marty, who is running Adepticon, is going to be in Indy in his own personal time with his Adepticon package. And we're basically going to get to sample hands-on the, uh, the Adepticon experience in Indy. So it's definitely an event that you want to make it to if you can. We're going to have some really awesome prize supports. I've got uh, some updated unit cards and uh, some other things like that in the prize support. And we're going to source out some... Uh, some other local guys and small businesses to get more more prizes. We do have a few Hand of the King things left, but outside of the prize support, I know that we've got several guys traveling from other communities in the Midwest 
I'm hoping that we have 30 plus. Um, I'm pretty sure at this point we reliably have at least the 30 that are committed to coming. So it's definitely worth coming down. We've got plenty of room at family time games. Shane is very accommodating and uh, yeah, Marty will be there and you'll get, you know, a firsthand sample at what Adepticon is going to be like. There's a painting competition with scoring for painting and uh, it'll just be a really good time. I know Dave is planning to come. Yeah. And I think maybe Justin Justin. as well. I drive it. I'm like a chaperone. I mean, Dave (laughs) and Justin alone, that's like two really good reasons to come. So, no, it's well, maybe be really, really fun. <laughs> it should be fun. And uh, uh, I want to throw out there that uh, I will be bringing a Stark and Lannister starter set. Uh, I'll be raffling off both halves to any new players. So if we have any new players come uh, to the event, all you have to do is sign up, and I'll be raffling it off after uh, I. I want to say first or second round. So worst case scenario, if you can't, if you're not too far away and you can only make it for a couple rounds, um, you could uh, win yourself a starter half. Um, new uh, new player, I'm pretty much just defining as someone who maybe only has a very small force that's unpainted. You know, hasn't really played a lot or has nothing. So if you're thinking about coming out and you have a friend that wants to maybe get into it. Um, this will be a perfect chance to get him uh, in because I can't imagine we'll have a ton of new players. And so this will be a perfect chance that they'll have a pretty high chance of winning a starter half and getting, getting their, uh, getting into the game. Um, and then on top of that, I want to mention that uh, it is a two day event. Uh, if, uh, Brett, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Saturday is the team tournament, which is uh, going to be identical to the team tournament at, at Defcon. Um, if you don't have a teammate, we will be trying to accommodate matching people. Um, and then you can always uh, post on the Indianapolis uh, um, Ice and Fire page to, if you're looking for a teammate. Um, and then Sunday will be the main event, which will be the is it the champ? I forget what the name of the tournament is for the Adepticon. It's the Champions event. Yeah, Champions event. It's yeah. the main. It's the main individual forty-point uh, list event uh, that will be at Adepticon. Yeah, um, Dave's right. There, there is a team event on Saturday. We did that because um, Saturday the team event is really just more or less about fun. So people who are traveling in and just want to come. Saturday might be a little bit too tired to really be super focused on a four or five game day. So we wanted to squeeze that Saturday event so that people can just kind of get into town, unwind. Uh, Shane has mentioned that that we'll be having some beers at the store. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but it's going to be a very fun, a fun (laughs) fuel. I will be drinking. I'm just putting that out there. I'm going to be drinking during huh. the team event, and there will be lots oh, of YOLO and six-inch charges and things that I wouldn't normally do because team events are fun and funny things happen, and it's just, yeah, it's just that. I think team events are great, and that's uh, community building, and yeah, so you are correct. Though, um, and then I want to put out there, anyone listening, um, if you guys ever have any uh, tournaments in your local area, if you want to just send me a message, and I will try to give you guys a shout-out for your locals to anyone else that might be listening. 
um, just, uh, you know, it's always good to help uh, grow the communities around the, you know, the world, country, wherever it might be. Um, and, yeah, just uh, send me a message, uh, David Meckler, on uh, Facebook, and I will definitely write it into my notes. That way uh, the next show, the show directly after um, you message me, I will add it into into the ending of our show. Um, then we are going to raffle off uh, the Free Folk um, Trapper box. So I'm going to – unfortunately, my uh, – dashboard is freezing a little bit and I it's not letting me unmute um, our uh, winner so I'm just going to say the last four digits of your phone number um, if it is you just message me with your full number um, and you'll get a free box of free folk uh, trappers or if you don't really play free folk and you have someone you would like to, me to send it to I can do that as well um, but the winner is phone number with the last digits one zero two nine. Congratulations, you have won a box of free folk trappers. That's not me. Um, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely none of you. Because <laughs> that person is muted. <laughs> um so um Thank you all for you know tuning in. Please remember to follow the show, share it out. Uh, we're still early in our you know our episodes that not a lot of people have heard of us, um, and I don't want to flood uh, Facebook uh, the groups with our um, show like just posting our our links over and over. So sometimes they might not see it if they're not scrolling down. If after I post, uh, it, you know it it kind of gets buried. Um, maybe even commenting on the post will bring it back up to the top. So make sure you, you know, just give us a follow, share it out, comment on the um, posts when I send them out. Um, and again, thank you so much for listening in. Uh, and the small council is dismissed. See you guys all next time. Later. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.